Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and welcome to episode 50 of Storytime with Michael Kingswood. Holy smokes, been doing this almost for a year now, without fail every week, and uh, <laughs> the big 5-0. I've listened to a whole bunch of podcasts over the years, and they always do something special and cool when they hit their 50th or their 100th or whatever. And, um, yeah, I don't have too much special in the way of that. I considered maybe, uh, I actually went and got a different camera and I <clears throat> some a whole bunch of new different software to use. And I spent a bunch of time playing with it because I've been slowly porting most of my stuff from the Mac back to the PC for a bunch of different reasons. I keep my writing stuff on the Mac because the writing um, programs <clears throat> tend to be better on there, but a lot of the other stuff I've you know, re-PCSized myself, and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I'll do video and audio recording on there, but playing around with it for a little bit today, I was like, yeah, you know what, this iMovie thing works pretty well, and I'll just stick with that. So I was going to do... so. That was going to be my special thing, the whole new camera and the whole new software to do stuff with. And I was like, ah, you know what? Never mind. <clears throat> special will just be that, hey, it's number 50. And we get to continue with Glimmer Vale. Glimmer Vale being, of course, the book you've been listening to. Read by the awesome Nathan Dabney. It's interesting. Uh, somebody left a comment on BitChute on the last episode saying, hey, uh, great voices, man. You're awesome doing all these different voices. I'm like, um, thanks, uh, what me? It was the guy I hired to do it because that's why he gets paid to do these things and I don't, right? I can write. I can do engineering stuff. I can drive ships. I can do a bunch of things. What I am not super good at is voice acting, which if you go back to the previous episodes that I read myself, you say, yeah, that guy's not very good at voice acting at all. Which is why we hire the pros to do it. Anyway, um, let's just get back to it, shall we? So when last we left our intrepid heroes, they had determined that there's a spy in the midst somewhere. Because how else could the bad guys have known that uh, <clears throat> they were setting up the observation point there? Now granted, the sheriff, uh, the constable rather, uh, he messed up and didn't follow Melanie's advice on whatever the heck those statue things were, but uh, hey, still, bad guys clearly knew something was going on, and hey, how, who knew the plan? Only a few people? Well, that's, I guess now it's gonna, gotta figure out what's going on. Can't have a, a mole, right? So that's where we left off, and we'll continue from there. Enjoy. See you on the flip side. Chapter 23 to catch a rat. Fendig left the constable's office shortly before noon. That was not out of character from what Julian had seen. 
but instead of turning right toward Main Street and the tavern where he normally took his lunch, he turned left toward the makeshift archery range at the edge of town. He knows there's a fight coming. Maybe he just wants some practice. Julian snorted. <laughs> Fat chance. He could have joined us there every day for the last week. Radric chuckled softly. <laughs> True, but give the man the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt was one thing, but that was not their purpose this afternoon. They were out to catch a rat. Julian and Radric were not making use of Melanie's concealing spell this time. Just good old-fashioned cover and concealment. They wanted to be able to confront Fendig if their suspicions proved true, after all. So they crouched behind the door in the back of a shop that stood adjacent to the constable's office. As Fendig walked out of their field of view, they crept out and darted around the next building, then the next, to keep him in sight. Sure enough, he did not turn into the archery range. Instead, he continued on into the grasslands east of town. Cover became more difficult as they left town, so Radric and Julian let Fendig get further ahead of them. Fortunately, there were a few hillocks, bushes, and trees scattered here and there they could use for cover. A good thing, too, since Fendig occasionally looked backwards, clearly checking to see if he was being followed. Being awfully cautious, isn't he? That says it all right there. Not necessarily, Julian replied. He could be meeting his mistress or something. Radric gave him a look that practically screamed, Are you serious? Julian just shrugged and smirked. Hey, you never know. Fendig continued on for a couple miles until a large copse of trees came into view on a hilltop off to the southeast. He veered to the right, directly toward the copse, and picked up his pace. From time to time, he looked skyward at the position of the sun, but he no longer looked behind. Either he was convinced he was in the clear, or he was pressed for time. Or both. After a brief conversation, the two friends decided to risk being seen by closing the distance between themselves and Fendig. They set off at a jog, circling off to the side and following the rise and fall of the terrain toward the hilltop in question, being careful to keep the rise of a hill between Fendig and themselves as long as they could, to avoid being seen. But eventually, they came to a point where there was no more cover between the cops and them, and they were forced to wait until Fendig entered the trees before sprinting to the cops themselves. For a moment, Julian thought he had given them the slip. The copse was larger than it had appeared from the distance. It would not be difficult for him to slip out while they were looking for him within the trees. But then the sound of a branch breaking, followed by a loud thud and a muffled curse, issued from the undergrowth ahead. Julian bit back a chuckle and exchanged a sardonic look with Radric, who looked just as amused and relieved as Julian felt. Radric indicated, using hand signals, that they should separate and circle around Fendig. Julian nodded and moved slowly around to the left, being careful to disturb as little of the underbrush as possible. It would not do to give away his presence. In reality, he need not have worried. Fendig shoved his way through the copse without bothering to try to be quiet. Julian shook his head in amusement. Fendig would never make it as a Took you long enough. Julian froze. The speaker's voice was deep and gravelly and came from the area ahead of him and to the right, right around where Fendig was. Moving slowly, Julian tried to see who it was, but even without more than the buds of leaves on the plant's branches, there was too much undergrowth between him and them to make anything out. Sorry, it took longer than I thought to get away. That was Fendig. He sounded nervous, but not surprised to be meeting the other man here. It looked like Julian's suspicions were correct. Radric would owe him a drink after this. Smiling thinly, Julian cautiously moved forward until he reached a place where he could see what was going on. Fendig stood facing three rough-looking men in a small clearing. They could only have been Eisenhoff's men. 
They wore the same leather and steel armor the others of his band wore, and they had the shifty look of men who prey off others. No wonder Fendig looked about ready to jump out of his skin from nerves. So what do you have for us? The man in the middle was the speaker. A few years older than the others, he had several visible scars on his head, neck, and arms. No doubt who the leader was here. Fendig swallowed and looked around the area quickly, almost as though he was afraid to speak. Finally, he replied, What did you do with the constable? The brigand snorted. <laughs> what do you care? He's out of the picture, and now you're no longer the deputy. That was what you wanted, isn't it? Yes, but... Fendig wrung his hands anxiously, then tried again. I thought maybe you'd scare him off, discredit him, not... you know. All three men burst out in mocking laughter, which lasted for almost a full minute. Wiping his eyes as he got himself under control, the leader shook his head. Don't worry, little constable, he's not dead. His grin turned positively vicious. Not yet. Fendig shrank back, his eyes growing wide. The leader rolled his eyes and said, What do you think was gonna happen? Did you think we were just gonna let them spy on us? Should we have just asked, please, with sugar on top, stop doing that, and, by the way, send us to Constable so our pal Fendig won't have to live with his condescension anymore? Fendig's gaze fell to the ground, and he shook his head. Clearly, he was out of his depth. Scared, ashamed, guilt-ridden. Julian almost felt sorry for him. Almost. Then the brigand leader pulled a small pouch off his belt and shook it. It jingled loudly. From the sound of things, it was full of coins. Maybe this will help you feel better, the leader said. He tossed the pouch to Fendig, who caught it with a half-smile. The smile became a full-faced grin of avarice when Fendig looked inside the pouch at the coins. Whatever temptation Julian had to feel sorry for him evaporated completely. What do you have for us today? Constable? The brigand leader put special emphasis on the title, and Fendig's grin expanded a little bit. They're focusing on building defenses around the town, Fendig said. I think the incident with their scouts has them a bit spooked. Is that right? Said the brigand leader. It was not a question. Fendig nodded quickly. Anything else? Fendig frowned and stood in silence for a time. Thumbing at his lip, he appeared uncertain as he pondered things. Then his eyes widened. Yes, there is one more thing. There is a woman working with them now. A woman? The brigand leader looked surprised. Fendig nodded. The lone survivor of your attack on a merchant caravan in the past, two weeks ago. For whatever reason, she is involved now. Though what she does, I could not say. The brigand leader frowned, but did not say anything. Fendig apparently took his silence for disapproval and swallowed hard. I know she gave instructions to the scouts. The survivor said... Survivor? Fendig blinked. Yes. You took the constable, but the other man made it back to town. The brigand leader's grimace made Fendig go pale, until he gestured for Fendig to continue. He... he said she told him to bury things to protect the campsite, but didn't say how they would. I'm not sure what that means, but she seems to have some authority with the two men the mayor hired. They do what she says. Julian had to stop himself from snorting. They did not take orders from Melanie. The brigand leader had a different reaction entirely. His eyes grew wide when Fendig mentioned burying the stones. He glanced at his fellows, who had similar reactions, then returned his attention to Fendig. You need to get more information about this woman. Who is she? Where did she come from? Who does she spend time with? Every detail. Do you understand? Fendig looked confused, but he nodded acquiescence. 
Good. Meet us back here in three days, and you better have something useful to tell us. Fendig swallowed. He looked as though he was going to say something more, but instead he just nodded and backed away until he was out of reach. Then he turned and hurried back the way he came, snapped twigs and branches with every step. That's bad news, Yosef, said the man to the brigand leader's right after Fendig was out of earshot. The leader, Yosef apparently, nodded, though he looked uncertain. Possibly. The other brigand snorted. Bollocks! Just superstition from a woman who don't know no better. And the two heroes? Yosef spat the last word in disgust. He snorted again. <laughs> the same. Only reason we know the difference is we've seen the real thing. The leader shrugged as though conceding his comrade's point. Regardless, Farzel will want to learn of this. Let's get back to base. As they turned to leave, a branch moving on the far side of the clearing caught Julian's attention. Looking there more carefully, he saw Radric through the branches. He had a deadly serious expression on his face. Pointing at the three brigands, he made a quick cutting gesture in the air. Julian nodded in reply. He agreed completely. Those three did not need to return to give that report to Eisenhoff. Fendig's expression when Julian and Radric pushed the leader of the three brigands ahead of them into the constable's office was priceless. Surprise morphed into recognition combined with irritation, which then changed into shock, followed by dread and, no doubt, the recognition that he had been caught. Fendig's eyes danced between them and their captive wildly, and his jaw worked as though he was struggling to find words to say. Look what we found, Fendig, Julian said with a jolly grin. Care to open up a cell for us? Fendig nodded quickly and pulled out the cell door keys, then led them back into the cell block. Well, we caught this fellow and his two friends about four miles east of town. They attacked us on sight. Between that and their attire, they're Eisenhoff's men for sure. Fendig nodded quickly. His hands trembled as he turned the key in the lock of the third cell door on the right. Where are the others? He asked, a noticeable tremble in his voice. Still out there. Radric made a vague gesture toward the east. Scavengers need to eat, too. Fendig paled. Gulping, he swung the cell door open and waited while Julian shoved the brigand inside. Then he moved quickly to slam the door shut and lock it. As he turned the key in the lock, Fendig avoided looking at the brigand, who was slowly collecting himself. Rubbing at his wrists where Julian had bound him, the brigand almost looked grateful to be in the cell and untied. Except for the venomous look he directed at Julian and Radric, and the look of contempt he reserved for Fendig. Let me out of here, constable, or you'll be sorry, the brigand growled. Fendig blanched and turned away. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, Ray? Julian said. Radric nodded and fixed Fendig with a piercing gaze. The first thug we brought in said almost the same thing to you, Fendig. Well, why shouldn't he? Until you guys came here, they pretty much had free reign. I expect he thought Mallory and the mayor would be too intimidated to keep him. He thought wrong. The brigand barked out a mocking laugh. <laughs> wrong. They released him with apologies, didn't they? Radric favored him with a smirk. Because we told them to, so we could follow him back to your hideout. The brigand's eyes widened momentarily, his mocking grin slipping a bit. He glanced from Radric to Fendig and back and ran his tongue over his lips as though suddenly uncertain of himself. Julian couldn't help but chuckle. Turning back to Fendig, Radric's smile faded, replaced by a grim expression. Of course, both he, he jerked his thumb toward the locked up brigand, and the first guy asked, you, not Mallory. 
almost seemed like he knew you. Fendig spluttered. Preposterous! I introduced myself when you came in, and this guy knows they have Mallory captive, so he can't be constable anymore. His tone was affronted, but his expression was frightened. The little weasel knew he was caught, but was trying to feed them a line anyway? He had more nerve than Julian thought. Radric nodded slowly and pursed his lips in the way he did while considering something carefully. After a moment, he looked at Julian and gave a little shrug. Relax, Fendig, Julian said as he stepped forward to clap the deputy on the shoulder. It's just that we've been thinking Eisenhoff must have a mole here in town, so we followed you this afternoon. Fendig's eyes went wide and he tried to pull away. Too late, little man. Julian took a firm grip on the former deputy's forearm and used his own momentum to twist the arm behind his back, slamming him into the bars of the cell next to the brigands. How long have you been feeding them information, you slimy little worm? Julian growled into his ear. Fendig cried out in a mixture of pain and despair. Tears welled up in his eyes, but he did not say anything. Next to him, the brigand's eyes grew even wider, then narrowed in chagrin. There would be no release for him. Not unless Eisenhoff emerged victorious. That had to look like long odds from where he was sitting. Julian snatched the cell keys from Fendig's hand and tossed them back to Radric, who proceeded to open the cell across the hall from the brigand. As he pulled Fendig away from the bars and shoved him into his new cell, Julian quipped, Enjoy your stay. Chapter 24 The Signal A column of smoke rising from the south. That's what he was watching for, and there it was. Hiram knew it would be coming, but dreaded it. They had trained for nearly two weeks straight, and though he felt comfortable with his own marksmanship, he was far less confident in that of some of his fellows. As for the sword, he just hoped it wouldn't come down to that. He sat on a rooftop near the edge of town. The mayor, at Radric and Julian's behest, had convinced the house's owners and the owners of the house across Main Street from his perch to erect a platform up there to facilitate keeping watch, and to aid in the defense of the town if it came to it, which it looked like it was about to. Fortunately for Hiram, the plan called for as many archers as possible to man the rooftop platforms, then pull up the ladders behind them. He should be relatively safe from having to use his sword up there. Hopefully. Hiram picked up the horn resting on the platform next to his water barrel and lifted it to his lips. Blowing into it, he blanched when all that came out was a little squeak. He hated the damn things. Wetting his lips, he took a deep breath and tried again. The horn's call rang out strong and true. Down on the street below, every eye turned toward his position. The people stood motionless for a long moment. Hiram could practically see the thoughts churning in everyone's head. Is it for real? Is this another drill? Then a second horn sounded, from the platform across the street. The people on the street scattered, running as quickly as they could to the boats or to designated mustering points. It was pandemonium for a few minutes, then the streets became eerily silent. Empty. That would change. Hiram looked back to the south and his heart sank. The smoke column stopped abruptly. The smoke that was already in the air continued to rise, but no more rose to follow it. It was almost as if someone had taken a blanket and smothered the fire in an instant. He was not sure how that could be done, but he preferred not to think about it. He just hoped the sentries at the East Flow had managed to get away after lighting the signal. He was not intimate with the two men on duty this day. They were from different boats than he. But he had gotten to know them a bit over the last couple weeks. They were good men, and it would be a shame to lose them. A group came running from the center of town toward Hiram's position. 
He recognized Radric and Julian at the head of the group. Salam was close behind, along with half a dozen of his fellow fishing men, bows in hand. Strangely, that Clemens woman was with the group as well. Now that was a good-looking woman. A bit uppity for Hiram's taste, but good-looking regardless. Why was she there? A fight was no place for a lady like her, whether she was close with Radric and Julian or not. Hiram was not sure what to make of those two. He and the others who had been with them to confront Farzal in front of the town hall had heard the revelation about their background. They had not discussed it much, but Gilroy and Rolf did not care either way, and Salam. Well, those two seemed to go up in Salam's estimation after that. But then he had always been a strange fellow. But Hiram's father had raised him to value honor and to always do his duty. The thought of a man running out on his oaths by deserting the army revolted him. And yet... And yet, Radric and Julian were stand-up guys. They did not have to stay here to help with the town's problems. Yet, here they were, putting their butts on the line. It was hard not to respect that. The group came to a halt on the street below Hiram's post, and Radric shouted up to him. Hiram, what do you see? Smoke from the south, but it stopped all of a sudden. Radric nodded with a frown and turned to the group. Speaking quickly, he issued orders that Hiram could not make out. Not that he needed to, since they all knew the drill. Four of the bowmen split off from the group, two headed to Hiram's platform and two to the one across the street. Meanwhile, Julian, Salam, and the other two bowmen jogged to the end of Main Street, where the workers had erected a makeshift barricade. To one side, an empty cart stood ready. The four men pushed it into the narrow opening in the barricade, then, working together, tipped the cart up onto its side, effectively blocking the passage. Hiram's two additional bowmen reached the top of his platform. Hiram turned to greet them and was surprised to see that Mistress Clemens had climbed up as well. My lady, what are you doing? She finished for him. Nothing you would understand. Get back to keeping lookout and don't worry yourself about things that don't concern you. Well, she did not need to be rude about it. Feeling more than a little affronted, Hiram was tempted to snipe back. Unfortunately, she was right. He had more important things to do than get into an argument with her. Instead, he re-verified the storage bins were full of arrows and then looked out to the southeast, where Farzal's men would most likely come from. There was not much to see, though, and it was hard to maintain concentration with her chanting behind him. What was she doing? At one point, she even sprinkled him with dust of some sort, him and the other two men with him, and then the platform, too. He opened his mouth to protest, but the expression on her face made him bite his tongue. Mistress Clemens finally stopped her chanting and climbed down the ladder. Thank the gods, Hiram breathed. That chanting was driving him crazy. Then he realized there was a bit of commotion in the street and the other platform. Men in both places were talking excitedly to each other, some of them with expressions of shock or fear, and they were pointing at him and his platform. What are they going on about? He asked, receiving shrugs from the two men with him. Then Mistress Clemens mounted the other platform and performed her chant there as well, and he got his answer. No sooner did she stop chanting than the platform and all the men on it disappeared. His jaw dropped. Impossible. Rubbing his eyes did not help. They were gone. Except he could still hear them. What the... It came to him, and he looked down at Mistress Clemens in amazement. She was a mage. That was the only explanation for it. Nah, women can't be mages, said one of his companions on the platform, as though responding to Hiram's thoughts. Apparently this one can. Hiram replied. He realized he was grinning, and the anxiety he had felt just moments ago was significantly lessened. With a mage on their side, they might just make it through this with their skins intact.
Radric nodded approval as the second archery platform vanished from sight, or whatever it was that Melanie's spell did to make it appear to vanish. That trick of hers never gets old, does it? He quipped. Julian grinned in response. Yeah, she's right nice to have around. Radric almost choked at that. Really, Julian must really be smitten. Radric did not think he would ever use the word nice to describe Melanie, however good to look at she might be. Although truth to tell, he preferred Lonnie in that way too. Funny how that worked out. He had not thought about the fact that she would still be here when he decided to take the route through Glimmervale. He had only thought to get a good raid on a room for the night from Molly. And now he could not bear the thought of leaving Lonnie when this was all over. But that was a thought for another time. Radric spent the next several minutes looking over the barricade carefully. He was far from satisfied. It was ramshackle, obviously put together in a hurry, but that was to be expected. The best he could hope for was that it would delay Eisenhoff's men long enough for the archers to drive them off. If not, I hope she has something with a little more firepower up her sleeve, he said as he turned back to face Julian. And found himself facing Melanie as well. That was fast. I have a few other tricks, Radric, fear not. He nodded. Fair enough. Hold off until I give the word, if you can. I'd like to keep you as a surprise for as long as possible. She frowned, but nodded. It will likely not be long. Once the archers begin to fire, their mage will put two and two together and take steps to find and counter them. Radric did not want to think about what would happen when that started. Can you handle him? Melanie looked at him like he was daft. Do you have some information that I do not, Radric? No. What? Then you have just as much an idea how to answer that question as I do. Ah. He had no idea. And apparently she did not either. Wonderful. Riders approaching! The shout came from above. It sounded like Hiram. Radric looked up and nodded, then did a double take as he was able to see Hiram's platform clearly. For a moment, anxiety welled up, far more than the normal pre-battle jitters Radric always felt. But then he moved his eyes slightly, and Hiram's platform faded from view again. It must be what Melanie said the first time. He knew it was there, so he could see it, if he worked at it or surprised himself. Time to roll the dice. Radric looked over his shoulder at Salam and nodded. The swarthy swordsman had a way with words sometimes. Then he stepped up onto the small walkway that was constructed on the back of the barricade and looked out at the oncoming riders. It was time to roll the dice indeed. Well, I guess they were kind of right. Keep on whittling down the uh, bad guys' numbers and getting to rethink their strategy a bit. Not sure uh, if Rajik and Julian really meant for them to uh, provoke them into a full-on frontal assault, but hey, there we are. Good thing we set up those barricades. Um, well, okay. Seems like things are coming to a head. Uh, the, the boys' preparations are going to be tested, and we'll see how... Uh, resolve the brigands are but uh yeah, it seems like the, guy, the good guys have a couple trips up their sleeve bad guys probably will too and we'll see how this little uh, encounter proceeds next week or you can see how it proceeds right now if you go by the book right that's entirely up to you i prefer you did because money but uh you know who am I to dictate? You can find it everywhere that books and ebooks and print books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google Play, you name it. You can find it there. Um, audiobooks, uh, obviously Audible, iTunes, Amazon, audiobooks.com, Kobo, Google Play also, a whole bunch of other different places. Of course, all can be got 
for even better deal for me from my website at ssnstorytelling.com. Um, you can pay with uh, PayPal, Stripe, or with cryptocurrency, and uh, I get more of a profit margin. So hey, life is good that way. Regardless, even if you don't want to do that, uh, swing by, say hi. You know, drop me an email at uh, mykingswood.com. Um, the Facebook page is still there, although I think I'm just going to be getting rid of it because I, I just hate Facebook. I've said it a million times, and yeah. I actually did get rid of my Twitter account because I hate Twitter too, and I've done nothing with it. And I was like, yeah, the hell with it. Uh, I think I still have a Google Play account, but more and more I'm just just leery and done with the whole social media thing in general. It's dehumanizing and also flat out, you know, the more I learn about the origins of it, it's a holy cow. It's the Orwellian freaking mass monitoring and mass surveillance writ large funded by, you know, all the various intel people. Yeah. Out in the open, too. That's a great thing about it. Is, hey, look at that. Uh, the CIA and NSA put all these little... Uh, funding streams together and look who got it Facebook and Google and Twitter and I was like oh great that's really how I want I really want private companies to be doing surveillance that the government is not, is not allowed to do to get around the constitution that's a great plan um, yeah no anyway uh, so I'm pretty much done with all that I think I'll be getting rid of the Facebook thing here before too much longer too as I told you a couple of months ago I actually got rid of my personal Facebook account and set up a just a Mike Kingswood account only to keep the Facebook page up primarily so I could get ads and stuff. But I got to thinking, if I hate this thing so much, why do I want to give them money by buying ads? Yeah, yeah, I know. They're, like, effective. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done with it. Find another way to promote stuff like this. Anyway, um, yeah, so best way to reach me is going to be on the website um, or comment on YouTube or on um, on uh, BitChute or on my podcast site itself and if I ever get around to putting these things back up on Steemit again you can find me there the problem with Steemit is I gotta do a separate upload and that's the other problem I have with my website and my blog is I keep forgetting to promote all these damn uh, episodes it's like oh geez I have to make another post now yeah, you know so, so hard but it's just one more thing to do that I still really <laughs> remember to do a lot of times. Anyway, that's nearly the order there. Uh, stop by, say hi, like, subscribe, tell your friends. Come back next week and we'll see you on again. Until then, don't do anything that I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>